It's funny that uh, I uh, put this sweater on this morning and my wife goes, oh, for Valentine's Day. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it's for. You know, what a great opportunity for us to express love and to do so. But it's also one of these times when these weekends come, there are some who are not in that kind of place and they're not getting the card. They're not in maybe that kind of relationship and going through difficulty. And, and you may be one of those. And part of what we want to do, even as a congregation, is just to ask you to be aware. And if God's prompting you to, to send a card or a note or to say a word towards someone who's in a difficult place, you know, love them. Let them be a part of, of, of the encouragement of God. You know, we can go through this life and we could get done and be really religious. Or we could be what I think the whole word of God's about. Really loving people. And when we get to the end, I think Jesus would go, wow, if, if my life in you has made you to be someone who is open and aware to becoming a more loving person. That's kind of what he wants to accomplish in us. So let's just go into this whole weekend. Enjoy those kind of moments. Be thrilled when your wife sees or someone sees you doing something you didn't really plan on. But um, And look for opportunities to love. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I ask that you would take the words that you've prepared in my heart and in in my heart, which I've prepared for before you as well, would you take these things to your spirit and apply them to, to wherever people may be at today, where there is a need for greater awareness and trust and an and ability to, to flex and stretch into the things that you have for us. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great preacher. His name was... Um, Haddon Spurgeon back in the late mid 1800s or so, and he said these words, be great believers, emphasis on that word, great in believers, great people of faith. Little faith, he said, will bring your souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. I like that. Little faith will bring your souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. There's another person who said these words, many a Christian creeps trembling, tremblingly out upon the promises of God. It's kind of like, you know, on a lake and, and, and just kind of not sure this ice is going to hold them. I had a friend from down south who had never been on a frozen lake. And, you know, I just kind of walk out this kind of weather, too. You kind of like ice is like. And are you kidding? Are you sure? He says they walk tremblingly upon God's promises where another stronger in faith goes singing through life upheld by the very same word, the very same foundation. Jesus said these words when some people brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat and when he saw their faith, not the man on the mat, but their faith, he said to them, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus turned and saw a woman and he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And then he touched the eyes of an individual and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. At one point, when Peter was stretching his faith, walking out on water to go to Jesus, and it says that immediately as he saw Peter begin to fall, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him and said, oh, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And then Jesus, who saw a woman 
said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And at that very moment, her daughter was healed. And at one other point to a group of disciples, he looked at him and said, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and, and, and don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and it will be done. And so we come to these words of Paul and the armor of God. And he says to us, take up the shield of faith. Grab hold of it. Make sure that you carry it with you. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 16. We're going to read these words again. I think they're just helpful to get them into our heart. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, not just a piece of it, the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Three times stand, he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, every piece of the armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you've done everything, you've struggled and you've done everything, you stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, some of your translations may say, above all else, take, the, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, if you think of a shield and you think of them maybe from things you've seen in TV or read, at times you see pictures, um, there's all kinds of different shapes and forms of shields throughout the ages. But the Roman shield was a particular kind of shield. They had two shields. One of them was a smaller, rounder one, which was much more ornamental, looked like this. It was, it was used in parades. It, it, it was, the Greek word was aspis for this shield. And it, it, it would be used in the polis, which was meaning of the Greek word a city. So you think of the word policeman, it's polis, a city man. And what they meant by city men was the people who guarded and, and they would have usually smaller shields and they would be the ones that would be handled in those kind of settings. But there was another shield and the, and the word that, that Paul uses here is thuraos, which is in the Greek is, is the idea of the shield that would be brought into battle. When you're going into battle, this is the shield you want. It was a shield that covered you really completely. And it was the shield that was like a door. In fact, the idea of the, the word itself comes from a, it, it was a door-like shield. In fact, when soldiers would walk together, they would walk in a group and, and be kind of like a battalion as they would have these different groups. And they had these shields in some ways that they would be able to be hinged to one another so that you would actually walk as a group. So if someone was actually hit, you would still help that person as they would kind of walk with you. And when the fiery darts and the things that would be shot at you would come, the ones in the center would put their shields over their head. And they were like a little armored car walking in the bow. So there's something about this, too, that we don't really get into as much. But Paul says there's something about the community of believers that link their shields together and are able to walk through these kind of battles together. That is very important. But there's also the very individual side of it as well, that you were to carry this shield in battle. Even when the troops began to kind of move out, they would still have these shields protecting them. These shields were about four feet in length and about two and a half feet high. So they were, they were um, a rather large shield that protected a good part of their body. 
as, as technology grew in, in Roman shields, because you'll see different ones, they actually became a little more oblong. And I think maybe just like in all military things, you, you, you make the equipment better for the need. But these are the ones that Paul was probably referring to. And, and the shield is made of wood and leather in a fireproof metal lining. Most cases, uh, uh, the, the soldier's shield was composed of what would be multiple layers of animal hide. It would be tightly woven together with this metal lining in it. So that together with the wood and the leather and the lining, it was as strong as steel. It was impenetrable. It was made of such quality and wound and woven together so tightly, so well, that it, 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 was, it was something that was durable, it was long-lasting, and it was something that was just protective and strong. And so Paul says, take that shield. Now, again, get the picture of what's going on and how important this is, because here would be a soldier and that soldier would have that belt of truth with this, uh, this metal mail um, that was kind of would, would cover kind of their legs here. And then it would be this breastplate, which would start here and it would it would run down to about their thighs. And, and, and so you've got at this point pretty well protected. Right. Well, then you would also have these sheaves, which were like shin pads. And, and under those shin pads were these military shoes. They're more like sandals that were tightly woven to your feet. And on those shoes shoes were these cleats and these cleats would give you the ability to stand so when you were walking he gave you good grip when you were having to stand you could stand and you had all this there and he doesn't say to them you're really well outfitted he says in addition to all this you need something very very important when you go off to war because you will not only be in hand-to-hand combat you will as you go through war have these fiery arrows combustible arrows in fact they used to take some of these these arrows and they would they would um cut out the center and they'd put combustible material but they would get them well enough and they would call them actually missiles because they would land and when they land they'd explode and they could actually maim a person and cause great burning on their body and, and, and put the person out. And so he says you need to take along with you the shield of faith. And there's two things I want to talk about with regard to the shield of faith. The analogy of the shield of faith that he, he uses here. The shield was, there's two things that were important. One, you needed to care for that shield. And secondly, you needed to carry the shield. It's pretty simple. You needed to care for the shield, and then you needed to carry the shield. My guess is that Paul had this kind of in mind, although we kind of have to read a little bit into it. For sure we know he said, take it up and carry it. But we think about the care for the shield. I think of that in the sense that just like any piece of equipment, it needs to be cared for. And in their day and age, there were two things that were really important for the shield. There would be a vial of oil that a soldier would have, and the other would they would use some water when it, went, when it meant time to go into to war, into battle. And so the very first part, the oil, was very necessary for this equipment. And, and if you think in the Word of God, the word oil often refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. It refers to the Holy Spirit and anointing and things such as that. Well, one of the ways you care for your faith if you want to talk about caring for your faith, is that you need to nourish it. You need to, to, to strengthen it. You need to do those things so that your faith is alive and durable and, 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 and flexible. You see, the shield of a soldier, uncared for, not nourished, would become brittle and dry and would easily break if they went into battle without caring for it. They were, in, in a sense, giving themselves a death sentence if they went out without caring for their equipment well. And not only for themselves, the people around them would be in trouble if something happened to that link in that group. 
And so your faith is really important to be nourished. It needs to be cared for. Your faith needs to be cared for. It's not just about you. You may not care, but you also have people around you. You have people that you live with, that you're close to. You have friends. You have family. You have people that you work with. There is something vitally important about caring and nourishing the shield of faith that God has given you. And so when I look at that and, and you think about it, a Roman soldier on a daily basis, they would take that vial of oil and they would, they would saturate a cloth with it. And with that cloth filled with oil, they would take it and they would rub it on the shield so that it would have the ability to stay soft and supple and, and not become brittle and hard. I mean, we think about it all the time. Just think of the Olympics. Watch the Olympics right now. You, you, can you imagine the kind of behind-the-scenes work that is done on skis and snowboards and skates and equipment? In any field of, of work you're involved in. If you're a chef or a cook, you want to take care of your equipment. Some of you guys who fish or men and women that hunt or whatever, you take care of the equipment, right? You know it needs to be oiled. I have a hobby farm. I have some horses and we have some saddles. And on these saddles, we need to take every once in a while, make sure that leather is well oiled and cared for. Because that is what gives it life and makes it work. So what does this mean for you? There is this sense that if you're going to care for your faith, your faith needs to be nourished in the same way. You need to have the work of the Spirit on a daily basis occurring in your life. You need to be in a place where as you submit your heart and your, your life to the Lord, you are inviting Him so that you have fresh encounters with the Lord on a daily basis. You can't be living the kind of life that... So if someone asks you, you know, about your walk with the Lord, you go, yeah, I remember 20 years ago, God did this cool this thing. Your faith becomes hard and brittle. If your faith isn't being nurtured and it's not being fed, if the work of the Spirit of God isn't happening where you're seeing Him at, alive in your life, it will become hard and brittle and become pharisaical and you will be in a club. Can you imagine going to the Olympics? In the Olympics, instead of doing events, what happened at the Olympics, they all got there and someone would talk about their event. And then a little bit later, they might hear someone, um, um, you know, give some more ideas on it. And then they'd all kind of stand and sing about the event. And then, you know, they do that for that's silly. You need to personally nourish your faith with fresh encounters with the Lord. That's why one of the values of this church is to encounter God. Now, I just let's make it really real. What I'm going to do is go around and ask you to share what God's been doing in your life. No, <laughs> you guys I just want to scare you a little bit. And you won't be coming back here again. Can you imagine, though, if I went out and I said, you know, I want to share. Let's just go. Well, how has God been working in your life this last week? That's what I'm talking about. I... And I know you don't want a church of people who talk and have teaching and hear messages and sing about it, but we actually live it. We say, Holy Spirit of God, every day saturate my whole being that I might know you and have fresh encounters of you. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's that look like? Let me do, how many here are perfect? Okay, there's a couple hands. <laughs> Everyone's looking around. Who's saying they're perfect? If you're not perfect, you need God. I don't know if it's your temper or your patience. I don't know if it's the fact that you are trying to control outcomes you can't control. But you know what? You need God. Your faith has the opportunity for fresh experiences with God. 
Now, there's a second part of caring for the shield. You see, the shield wasn't just this vial of oil. When it was time to go into battle, when they were actually going to march out and go into battle, they would, they would take the shield with this hides of leather that have been bound tightly together and they've been oiling it and keeping it supple, and they'd do something that seems kind of strange. They would actually take the shield and they'd put it in a tub of water. And they'd let it soak in that water. And the whole purpose of that was that when those darts came, it would come and hit, and if it hit, it would cause it to not have any ability to catch fire. They wanted this thing to be fire retardant. And so when you think of this whole idea of water and and what they would do, and you think about the equipment in the sense of applying that to the shield, there is in the same way, if you just go back to Ephesians 5.26, he's talking at this point to men, and he's saying, I want you guys to be such loving people. I'm not caring about you being religious. I want you to be so loving in relationship to your wife. I want you to be such a person that you are, as it says, saturated by the washing of the water by the word. So not only do you have fresh encounters as the Holy Spirit's at work in your life so that you can just say, yeah, this is what God's doing in me. At the same time, your life, the way you care for your faith, is you begin to say, God, I want your word to saturate me. Because you know what? Darts are going to come. Fire darts are going to come. They're going to hit you and they're going to explode. You have no... When they were walking as a group, they, they, they were... Often the fiery darts were sent like an aerial attack. You know what you do often in, in the military? You send the air over first to, to soften them up. It was the same thing. They would often have these... As they're going on, they would have places where the enemy could attack. And so they would have to have an awareness about it. And they would shoot, in a sense, these arrows or throw these fiery things into their midst. And what would happen at times as they're walking, they wouldn't necessarily have everything up. They didn't, they didn't have their shield up. They were carrying their shield. But at that point, maybe one or two might get in and they would get those shields up as soon as they could. You can't help it when the dark comes into your life, when there's a fiery um, word that's said in a relationship with someone or the phone call, like what we heard Dora talk about that could just upset your day there's things that come into your life they come into your life it's like that that, that attack that 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 thing that hits you and and what happens at that point when you are saturated with the word of god you have the ability to take the word of god and apply it to that situation and to respond in ways that put out the fire and so the word of god is really important for caring for your faith so what are you doing in your life to care for your faith. What does it mean for you this week to have a fresh encounter through the work of God's Spirit in your life, in your relationships? What does it mean for you to allow the Word of God to kind of saturate you? You know, in Paul's day, one of the reasons you don't hear a bunch of, you don't see things, now make sure you read your Bible every day. Well, they didn't have Bibles, you know, to hold. What happens so often is because it was an oral culture, they would memorize great portions of Scripture. In fact, a good Jewish boy, with some of them who wanted to really go into university, would memorize the whole Old Testament. See, they have themselves with the Word of God in them in that sense. And and what I find so often, and I was talking at a retreat this weekend with a a group of people in their 20s and 30s, and I was talking about this whole thing. We have more Bibles around us, but do we have it in us? And that's kind of what he's talking about. So how do you care for that? What does that mean for you? 
The second part of this is now you need to carry your faith. So if you care for your faith by nourishing it and feeding it in that sense, you now also then have to begin to talk about what it means to carry the shield of faith. And what he means by that is simply this. You take the shield and you, in faith, you exercise your faith. It does no good, folks, to take the shield and to kind of drag it along behind you. It does no good to take the shield and just put it on your back. When the soldier was in war and we're all is in war, you carried the shield. You may not have it right in place all the time, but it was there in your hand. And so what Paul is saying in this life, as you go through this life, you carry that shield and you're ready to take it up at a moment's notice. Because when the day of evil attacks, which none of us have any idea. So Jesus goes into the wilderness, is under this extreme attack where God, is, his father is working on his son's character. And as he comes through that, Satan leaves him after that time. And it says that he looked for an opportune time to attack Jesus again. The same is true in our lives. We just don't know when. So you need to carry that shield with you. Now, here's a cool thing about this. I really like what he says here. He says, take it up, grab hold of it, carry it. Exercise your faith in your life every day throughout the moments of that day so that you can stand your ground. Now, here's what's kind of cool. If you take that passage of Scripture, it says there's this, this the verb that says having the belt the breastplate, and the shoes, you have in a sense they're on. They're the things that God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Okay? We've talked about this. The belt of truth. He's given us truth through the Word. He's also then given us the breastplate of righteousness. He has, he has imputed that righteousness that's not our own, and He's imparted it as He puts it as a seed in our life to begin to grow out. And then He also talks about shotting your feet, tying tightly the, the peace that has been given to you. You have peace with God, and the peace of God now generating into your life. So you have this picture of a soldier who's wearing this, having this on, Then he makes the point, above all else, he's not saying that this is the most important piece of armor, the shield. He's saying, in addition to this, you need to carry faith. You see, the idea is, in a passive sense, this is what's been done for us. This has been given to us. So a soldier might be resting, and when he rests, he, he puts a shield over there, his sword over there, and his helmet over there. So the next three pieces of items are the things that you actively have to exercise. You have to... You have to do something about So what you do is you, in addition to what you have on and what God has done for you, now exercise your faith. That's how you walk, protected and in victory before the Lord. So when do you grab your faith? Well, obviously, when you get hit, we talked about that. You know, we can't control what hits us in our mind and those things that come in. But, you know, there are times that you can actually exercise your faith in preparation for battle. There is a sense that you can kind of go, oh, you know what, like around holidays, right? You know, holidays come, things get busy. You know that you may have in-laws and outlaws joining you. I know like my wife will say to me around Christmas or Thanksgiving as we're starting to prepare for it and we've got all the family coming and, and, you know, all family dynamics can occur and she always kind of looks at me and she goes, now, what are you doing to prepare for this? You can prepare for things. You can prepare for a rough week. 
and say, God, I'm going to take the shield of faith. I'm going to exercise it through this week. This past week has been a really busy week for me. And I remember a couple of weeks before as I looked at it and I was preparing so that I could go through this week without being pushed and overwhelmed and stressed and different things. I remember just saying to myself, OK, God, I want to exercise. I want to exercise faith through this. I want to be controlled and at peace. I know I have opportunity to be overwhelmed. I know if I get overwhelmed, I'm going to react and I'll react probably to my family. Isn't it sad? We usually react to those around us that we love the most than those outside it. But I don't want to be that kind of person. I, I don't think any of us want to be. So I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to prepare for this because I know there will be fiery darts that will come. And so, God, as I move through this in faith, I want to exercise my faith in preparation for what could come and to be able to walk through this in peace and in righteousness. Because there is an enemy. There's a truly real being called Satan out to get you. Martin Lloyd-Jones um, writes these words. He says, An understanding of this is vital importance to us in our spiritual warfare. Many masters of the spiritual life have described these attacks in detail. The best-known examples are Martin Luther and a man named John Bunyan. No two writers have dealt more specifically or clearly with this particular aspect of the Christian's warfare than these two men. Most Christians have heard the famous story of Martin Luther and his ink pot. And if he's throwing it at the devil, and if you haven't, that's what I, at one point he took it and he threw it at the devil. It was as clear as could be in his room. And he says he was deeply conscious of the devil's presence in his room and he could not get away from him. And whatever he tried to do, the devil was hurtling his darts at him. And you can kind of go, well, I mean, he maybe he's a little schizophrenic, but not at all. You know, Jesus would talk about this stuff. He was very clear about it. I think Martin Luther was pretty clear about it. I sometimes wonder if their reality and understanding isn't even more than ours because the way that God used their lives to change reality. So you can bet that you, if you begin to press into God, you and your brokenness come before Him and say, God, I want you to be in my life. I want these fresh encounters. I want your word. You will be under attack. So where do you need to carry then and cover yourself with the shield of faith? Where do you need to exercise faith is a question you have to ask yourself. And I can tell you here is one thing we all need to exercise our faith in. And that is against the deception and lies that Satan will send our way. We need to we need to exercise our faith against the deception and lies. And it usually comes in your thought life. And I've been sharing this with the Wednesday night classes. We've been getting more in-depth about this stuff around spiritual warfare. And, and my one prayer will be when they come out of this, this will be really something that sticks with them. But it will also be something I hope sticks with us as well. You need to remember the strategy of Satan is the same. When Paul says we know the schemes, he, another point says we know the wiles. What he's talking about is not something where you go, oh, I wonder what those schemes are. It's the same all through the ages. He lies in order to get you to believe a lie, to control you. And when he controls you, he wants to destroy you. It's that simple. He comes in to deceive. And once he's deceived you, he then accuses you. He deceives you and he says, you're rotten. You're no good. Jesus doesn't love you. Just look what you did. I can't believe it. You did that. And once he gets that, he goes and he starts to accuse you. And he says, you're just a no good for God. And then he starts using voices maybe from someone who is critical, a father, and, and your inability to perform like you needed to. And, and he says, see, your dad never, he saw you as no good too. And then he makes this accusation that goes further. He says, if your dad, who's on earth, can't stand you, how do you think you're? Heavenly Father's going to like you. 
You might as well give it up. And so what happens in those situations is just what Satan wants to have happen in your life. He wants to lie, he accuse you, get you controlled. And what does he do? He gets you focused inward. He gets you looking at how rotten you are. He gets you looking at the things that you don't have. And you, you, you become discouraged and then even depressed. And when you become depressed, what happens? You lose your energy. And when you feel the sense of despair, you walk around and you're not full of joy. You don't have peace. You don't have the love of God flowing out of you. You're not patient and you Find yourself self-absorbed and he goes, I got you. You'll be effective with no one. But you need to exercise faith. You need to begin to start saying, I understand how he's going to come against me. I understand where I'm prone to attacks. And then you begin to develop some practices that help you in that. So if you know he comes in a certain way, you begin to start reading scripture. Maybe read some scripture around that. One of the great things to do is to take some scripture and, and memorize it and, and meditate on it. You know, I've heard people, I said this first service, that sometimes people say about the modern worship music, they call it 7-11. You know, you sing a thing, soar seven times and 11 times, and can't we just get on with it? You know why, why we're in an age where a generation of people are singing choruses over and over again? Because it's one of the ways that God gets it into their mind and gets it down into their heart. So I encourage you, instead of fighting and resisting it in worship, begin just to pray it out to God and pray it into God and let God pray it into your soul because it will control you with truth. But you can meditate and memorize. You can join a small group. I meet with guys where they start talking about their lives. We talk about the fresh encounters because someone else's fresh encounter helps you say, is that happening in my life? There's classes on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights to get more teaching. Um, daily, I repeat a prayer. And I have a four different specific prayers. And one of them is just a prayer of surrender that's a really important thing. When I, in the morning, I'll just say, Heavenly Father, I surrender to you control of my intellect, emotion, will, and body. And I invite you to be the Lord of my life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that could be rope, but I say it over and over again in, in a sense every day. I just want to say, God, here's something I want to do. And then I, as Doris says, I put on the armor of God. I wear that. And, and then there's a third one that I like a lot. Thank you, Lord, that right now, this is the one that helps you with the breastplate of righteousness. Right now I can bind the blood of Jesus over me and my family and bind myself and my family to the truth of your word. I'm going to bind them to the truth of your word, my life. Bind my heart and mind to you, Jesus, and bind all my will and my purpose to you, Father God, for this day and all eternity. And the fourth one I kind of end with is one of my favorites. It's just, thank you that Satan's influence over every part of my body, soul, and spirit has been destroyed. That's a declaration. You know what? Sometimes we say things in our head. When you say them out loud, Satan hears it. He cannot know what's going on in your mind. He can guess. But when you say it, it has an effect on yourself as well as the spiritual realm. And so I, I love that because I just make I, that statement is, is the truth. Thank you that Satan's influence every part of my body, soul and spirit has been destroyed. That's a fact. And then to couple it with this, and it may seem a little bit overboard, but I lose, crush, smash and destroy. <laughs> I just want them to know this. I lose, crush, smash, and destroy every evil device that Satan might try to bring into my and my family's sphere of influence during this day. Ah, just, okay. I, um, and you need practices. 
If you're not experiencing joy, I've talked about this. Get up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Get in the practice of writing out, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this today. Thank you for what you did yesterday. Thank you for these things that I enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. It changes your attitude. You need to know where you fall under the lie. You exercise your faith when you feel condemnation and guilt. The righteous live by faith and they exercise it. You may need to because, you know, one of the places I, I I'm seeing more and more that we have a generation. And I think even our generation lives under a sense of condemnation. We live under this performance mode before God and we feel this guilt. And here's the truth. We no longer have guilt or condemnation because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is a truth. You are a child of God. You now have the identity of Christ. You have been called to exercise your faith and walk in it. But guess what? You will have years of past wounds that have occurred in your life that are going to come to you and condemn you. Satan will do that, but you need to exercise your faith in this. You may need to repeat these truths, such as Romans 5.1. Memorize it. And when you feel it, just say, I have been justified, completely forgiven, and made righteous by Jesus, not by me. You may need to say because of Jesus, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. I'm not going to listen to it, Satan. There's no condemnation because I am in Jesus Christ. Faith Exercise is knowing who you are. I love I love the story of a, of a politician. His name was Christian Herder, and he was running for a second term for the governor of, of Massachusetts. And he'd been campaigning the whole day, and he flew into town late where he was supposed to speak. And as he came in late, he went to the line where he was going to get some food to eat. As he came to the end, here is a lady. She was serving chicken, and he was famished, and so he really wanted a couple pieces of chicken. So he, he kind of said to her as she put one piece of chicken on his plate, she, he said, Ma'am, could I have another piece of chicken? And her response was simple and to the point, No, sir, just one per person. And so a little more quietly, he kind of leaned in closer to her and said, You know, ma'am, you may not recognize me, but I'm the governor, and I was hoping to get another piece of chicken before I speak. And she, not so quietly, didn't lean in, said, Sir, you may not know who I am either, but I'm the lady authorized to serve chicken, and I was, only, I was told only one per person. Thank you. I love that because here she goes, I was the one authorized. I know who I am, and I'm not budging. I don't care who you are. And when you stand before God, you are a child of God. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. You have no condemnation. No guilt should rule you any longer. He says, grab the shield of faith. Exercise your faith. Look at the enemy. When you hear the thoughts, tell out of here. In the name of Jesus. And carry your faith. I'm going to share with you one more and then we're going to close. And that is this, because um, I have a, well, two or three more, but let's just talk about exercising your faith with regard to fear and, and anxiety and worry. Because I think we live in that. And fear, it's really interesting. The thoughts may come, but what happens is now he gets into our imaginations. Fear takes us from just thoughts into imagination. Once he gets you going, he gets it rolling in your mind. And so he, what happens for us at times is we, we are people who live by fear, but we're not to. We're to live by faith. We're supposed to trust that God is in this. And so fear has this ability to get us nervous about things we shouldn't even be nervous about. So my daughter is in her third rotation, just started this last week. Her third rotation is a, a physician assistant in, in a clinic in Glencoe for an OBGYN clinic. And she's driving. It's about an hour in the early in the morning when it's dark and she comes back. It's about an hour and it's dark and it's cold 
and it's on lonely roads, and in my mind, I'm going, oh, Lord, please take care of me. In my mind, you know how, anybody have it where your mind begins to wander and your imagination goes? It's just what happens. And, and I remember one time when I was, uh, my, my kids and my wife were away. They're up in Thiefer Falls visiting their family, and, and it was a Saturday night, and I was preaching the next morning, and I went to bed early, and I also get startled and awakened by the alarm going off in our house. So I get up, I run out of the bed, I'm, I'm standing here, and here's our doorway, and there's this kind of stairways down here. And I yell, I've got a gun! <laughs> I got my hand. And my wife and the kids just start laughing, because they had come back early and set off the alarm that we didn't usually set. But what if I really had a gun? I mean, fear is, I've heard it said this way, fear is this idea of false evidence appearing real. Someone told me after service, fear knocked the door, faith answered, and nothing was there. Live in faith. God loves you and cares for you. If fear is holding you back in some way, it is time to exercise faith. Trust God and to move into it. I'm going to ask the team as they come, and we're going to close in just worship. And I just want to share with you, um, I have other thoughts around this, you know, about exercising your faith with regard to what you say. It's so important what you say. Exercising your faith with regard to provision and understanding this God as a supplier. You need to figure out where is it where I have to say, God, you are who you said you are. I understand the schemes that come against me, and I'm going to not just carry this faith, leave it at church. I'm going to actually take it with me. I'm going to grab hold of it, and I'm going to use it when it comes into my life, and I'm going to walk in the truth and the fresh experience of God.